welcome to Memphis Light, Gas, and Waters, Power of Memphis. I'm your host, Gail Jones-Carson. I am the Vice President of Community and External Affairs. The aim of Power of Memphis is to take you, our customers, on an inside tour of MLGNW to share our programs and operations with you. And by doing so, we can all better understand how we function as your utility provider. On today's show, we will have Memphis Gas and Water's President and CEO, JT Young. And today, our president will be discussing some of the challenges we have encountered in 2021 as we continue another year of the COVID-19 pandemic. And he will also talk about some things that we need to look forward to in 2022. So thank you for being here with us today. We greatly appreciate that. Good morning, and thank you so very much. Uh, today's show, we're going to have Memphis Light, Gas, and Waters President and CEO, JT Young, as I guess. And JT is going to discuss with us a lot of the stuff um, that we did at Memphis Light, Gas, and Water this year, and also where we're headed in 2022. So, JT, thank you so very much for being with us to My share. Pleasure. I know a lot of valuable information for our customers today. So, Glad JT, so in 2021, we continue with the pandemic. Uh, although the vaccine did come about uh, the early part of 2021, how did MLGW fare as we continued on into a whole nother year of the pandemic? Well, thank you, Gail. And, and certainly this has been a, another challenging year. I want to certainly commend all of our employees who continued to provide the necessary services for our customers, notwithstanding the challenges surrounding uh, COVID-19. Uh, we all, of course, thought by the end of last year that we would be looking at a COVID-free or relatively COVID-free 2021. That was not the case. But uh, again, kudos to our team and so many who worked very, very diligently to make things um, better for our customers who, whose lives have been um, changed uh, and impacted by COVID as well. Um, and so we've had to navigate through some treacherous waters, but I do say that I will say that that I think our team did a did a pretty phenomenal job in terms of meeting our our customer demands. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who worked so hard. So what were some of the things that we did as we pivoted um, to make service better, easier for our customers as we worked through the pandemic, as our employees had to be safe? Yeah. So. Great question, Gail. And and one of the things I would I would certainly point to is we wanted to, of course, make sure we stayed focused on safety. That was always our number one priority, even prior to uh, the pandemic, but really became even more so um, during the pandemic. So we had to make sure that certain protocols were enacted and followed to keep our employees safe as they worked with each other. And even as they worked, as you know, many of our employees have to engage with the public. And so we wanted to make sure that that stayed top of mind uh, for our employees. So we always wanted to make sure our employees communicated with our customers to make sure that they knew what was going on. And again, kudos to our community uh, team that you lead. Um, they were engaged in multiple uh, mobile food pantries 
trying to make sure that we were dealing with needs in the community um, and engaging with our, our with the public uh, in many ways like that. In addition, we uh, took many and, and most, of course, our meetings that we would have where we engage the public, all of those became virtual formats. And I really believe have become a lot more effective. And that's been a way for us to touch maybe even more of our customers more conveniently by engaging with them virtually. And then certainly not to mention on the customer service side that there were a number of initiatives that took place to make things more convenient for our customers so they did not have to do in-person types of services. Uh, so we've been able to make those things happen virtually as well. We're seeing challenges with um, getting contact with our in contact with some of our reps on the phone. We're working on making that better. But at the end of the day, we really want to make sure we focused on safety. And I just want to commend everyone for focusing on that. So, JT, as we move to a virtual world beginning uh, March 2020, one of the things that you did as the president, you stepped all the way up and started communicating even more often with our employees. You did the phone calls or radio calls with our field employees. You did uh, more written communications desk, uh, from the president's desk. And then almost every Friday you were doing Zoom calls. So why was that important? And um, you could just talk about how you, you, know, you strongly believe in the need to communicate with our employees, especially our frontline employees. Yeah, Gail, I tell you, one of the things that happens when there's times of uncertainty, as you know, um, if, if there's no communication or if there's a lack of communication, then oftentimes there's confusion and there's going to be confusion anyway. And so our goal was always to make sure we did our best to speak directly as often as we could directly to our employees, just like we want to try to make sure we stay directly in touch with our We believe in our firmly that we can uh, sort of shake out a lot of rumors and clarify the grapevine issues uh, by doing that. And again, when there are things, when things are uncertain, people want to know what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen with that. We never, <clears throat> in spite of what some think, you know, we've, we certainly have had some employees working remotely, but we've never stopped working. And I think that message is really important. We have continued to work through this pandemic 24-7 uh, and, um, and I think that it's communicating to our employees to encourage them to answer their questions. We brought in, you, your team was good about this, helping us bring in experts to talk about health-related issues as it pertains to the pandemic or issues around schools. We've had a number of folks that came in on the panel to talk to our employees, really to keep them apprised and abreast of what's going on. And I think that really, really helped uh, our employees. So, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, JT, was that we never shut down. We continued to work. Could you, uh, one of the um, concerns by many, uh, is about our community offices. And you pointed out the other day that we never shut down. So could you address that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> what we what we needed to do, um, and have, and we're still in this process, we, we certainly closed the community offices to walk-in traffic. But at the same time we did that, we actually worked to make more available multiple paths for customers to conduct business that they would have conducted in the community office. About 90% of all the reasons that customers came to a community office was to make a bill payment, 90% of the time. So what we did was we've expanded our payment network now to almost 200 locations across Shelby County and multiple locations across the country where customers can make real-time payments and have those payments posted within minutes to their account. 
a number of locations, including Family Dollar, Dollar General, across Kroger, just all kinds of retail locations where customers can do that. Um, and so that was important. We kept our drive-throughs open at three locations uh, where customers can actually still drive through and drop off a payment. All of the drop boxes are still open as well at the community offices. So what we tried to do is do both and make sure customers had a way to directly uh, engage, but also make it as safe as possible. And we want to do that because we're concerned about our employees and also about the public in general. And also, JT, I do know that we work with several organizations with the matching dollars to help um, not just make sure monies were available for our customers to pay the utility bills, but we work with the United Way, we work with the Food Bank, and we work with the Community Foundation. Do you want to address how we just stepped up our game regarding providing support for our customers? Yeah, very, very. Very important, Gail, that um, you mentioned that because what we were able to do <clears throat> was leverage TVA provided a, um, a community fund matching dollars that allowed the dollars that you just spoke about to those agencies to be matched uh, by 100% um, with what we contributed. And so you mentioned a community fund, uh, United Way, MIFA. We, we, were, we were making sure that we were engaged with entities that were helping customers with bill payments as well as um, food, ish, food needs in the community. And so the dollars that we were able to contribute uh, went a long way um, in, that, in that regard. And, and we're really blessed that TVA is gonna continue that this year and we'll be able to do that as well uh, with even more dollars. But I say that to say that this is a giving community and uh, always has been a giving community. <clears throat> and I think we are just blessed to be a part of it and do whatever little bit we can uh, to help with that. And so we have employees who give the United Way funds that we provide, like we're doing, we just finished up our United Way campaign, um, over $600,000 given by our employees. That's We don't make any corporate contributions to that. That's just employee giving. Uh, over 30 some thousand dollars given to the, to the uh, Mid-South Food Bank. Um, again, that's just employees pulling out of their pockets and contributing back to this community because they care about the community. And so I'm just so grateful and blessed to be a part of a team that cares so much. Um, and I've seen that in 2021 in so many ways. Yeah, and you already did mention how we stepped up and we continue to do uh, the mobile food pantries. And we worked in our community uh, with on Martin Luther King Day, making sure uh, that we provided to our customers as we went door to door uh, with weatherization kits and other valuable information uh, for our customers. And I'll add one more quick thing. I know we're, I know we're, I'll say this real quickly. And that is that in in interest of being sure that we are leveraging opportunities for customers to stay more engaged, we are seeing technology used like it's never been before. Exactly. Um, and we're able, we're able now to see outage alerts and things like that happening. Uh, that just rolled out here recently this year. Our customers are going to be able to are able now to get more information about what's going on with their service through um, their phone. They're able to take their phone and just uh, um, through my account get information on the status of the outage, how long it's going to be, when 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 expected to be back on, uh, and information on us bringing you know providing service directly to them through uh, a uh, if they have a service need service call. I say that to say that a lot of folks in a lot of areas, some behind the scenes. I've been working real diligently to make sure that things are easier uh, for our customers to stay engaged um, with us. And so we've seen that happening 
in, in just a number, a number of ways. Mm-hmm. So, JT, I know that you've worked for about four utilities now, and MLGW has a lot of payment plans. Well, and I've done research and found that we have some of the most liberal, some of the most generous payment plans in this country. So could you touch on how you've experienced that at the utilities that you've worked with? All I can tell you is there's none that I've seen that have uh, eclipsed what MLGW has available to assist our customers. As you know, during a pandemic, we actually modified some of our plans and provided even more time, up to 12 months, for customers to uh, pay any back, uh, any any uh, bills that they owed. Um, and we've seen more and more uh, accommodations being made for customers through dollars being made through things, you know, entities like community, uh, the CSA, Community Services. Uh, Association, other other entities have been making dollars available, and we direct customers all the time to those services. But our own programs uh, and payment arrangement programs and extensions and and prepay and opportunities like that have been very very helpful for customers. And so I say that to say that MLGW um, is is just blessed to have an opportunity with people who care. And so no matter what people may say or think, I can tell you unequivocally that we have a number of plans and programs that we use every day as we're speaking now to help our customers with bill payments uh, and maintaining their service and their quality of life that they uh, so badly need um, and deserve. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to, I'm just so proud of, of at least that part of like Water, how we step up to do everything we can to help our customers. So right now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back uh, with our president and CEO, J.T. Waters Power of Memphis. Our guest today is our president and CEO, JT Young. Welcome back, JT. Thank you. Glad to be here. Again, thank you so very much for making uh, yourself available for our customers and sharing valuable information. So now we will move on to what many in our community uh, have been dealing with, I guess, for the last couple of years and wondering where we are now and also where we are heading. And that's what the TVA situation uh, with looking at alternative uh, fuel sources and electricity. So, JT, could you just give us a little background on how we got started and, you know, bring us up to today? Well, just just quickly, Gail, I'll say, and I know folks have have heard about this, but uh, over the last probably three years now, we have been involved in that investigation of evaluating alternative uh, sources of electricity. We have been um, a full requirements uh, customer of Tennessee Valley Authority uh, for over 80 years, uh, actually 86 years. I think we just celebrated that a couple of weeks ago. And so we have been uh, in this arrangement for a long time, very reliable, relatively low cost. When you look across the country, we see that uh, our electricity prices at the retail level for customers uh, are among the lowest in the nation. So we are in a very good position uh, from a pricing standpoint for our customers, and we know that. However, we did take on the uh, integrated resource plan, which is an evaluation of how we might provide power if we were not 
taking it from Tennessee Valley Authority. We've been uh, we we initiated that a couple of years ago, and since then, um, been able to find some uh, opportunities for potential savings, even if we whether we do it or not is yet to be determined. But we do see that there may be some potential savings at what we call the wholesale level, which which is where we purchase our power, um, and so. It's, uh, we spend about a billion dollars a year on electricity from TVA, and that parlays, again, down to the residential customer on average about $0.10 cents per kilowatt hour for the average customers. That's to keep it at, at that level. We now are in the process of uh, we've got three requests for proposals on the street, um, and all those, those are just designed to give us input on commitment or committed prices from uh, providers that would either provide uh, transmission service, which is what we would need to get the electricity from another system into MLGW, generation, which we would need local generation to help make sure we can maintain the reliability of the of the uh, energy, um, and then uh, renewables, and, and we call it renewables and other. There's another RFP out there for renewable energy and any other way that entities want to provide service to us. So we are currently awaiting the results of that. Uh, once we get those results back, we will evaluate those. I'll make a, a recommendation to our board one way or the other. And ultimately, if we decide that we want to part ways with TVA, as you know, we have to provide a five-year notice um, uh, to them. Uh, that's still several months out before we would be at the point of making that final decision. Um, but we will see. You know, the board really will have to, to contemplate whether or not to move forward. If they decide to move forward, then the final step would be uh, at the city council, uh, Memphis City Council, where they would have to take up the resolution from our board if they decide to move away from TVA. Okay, so you did mention that there are, you know, there's possibility of a great deal of savings on the back end. What kind of dollars would have to be spent on the front end, particularly now that a ruling has come down from the federal level stating that no utility will be able to use TVA's transmission lines or system to um, provide service without being a partner of TVA. So I tell you, from a cost standpoint, Gail, we don't know. Um, we estimated some costs back during the integrated resource plan process. We estimated about $700 million for transmission uh, overall. Uh, probably somewhere in the range of $4 billion total because you've got to invest in a, um, in a in a plant, you know, to provide local generation. There's, of course, renewable um, investment in renewables. Uh, of course, we don't necessarily know exactly how those financial arrangements would work out, whether or not it would be footed all by, on our side or partially or totally funded. Um, by those, by bond issues or by those wishing to participate. Either way, at the end of the day, as you know, there's nothing free, you know, so those costs would have to be somehow encapsulated. And, and of course, the hope is, would be, is that your savings would more than offset those costs. And so it would make it an attractive thing to do. And we have yet to see that. So, well, so, we'll okay. so we talked about millions possibly 450 million is what was thrown out on the back end but you also just stated it would cost billions to do or uh, build our own transmission system well let me and, be clear the transmission uh -huh. estimate was about 700 million that was our original 700 uh, million mm -hmm. yeah and then and then you're looking at you know probably close to that if not maybe about a billion dollars on a on a plant 
you've got to then, you know, you've got to think about what to do then for renewables and anything else. So, again, that, that total number is probably, if I were to guess, and I don't know this, uh, I'd say at least two, two and a half billion overall if someone's got to invest in making this switch happen. Okay, so you mentioned bonds. For those who don't know how bonds work, could you explain how would bonds work and also are bonds free? No, they're not free. A bond is just an instrument, a financial instrument where, you know, I, I don't know if this is the best analogy, but I kind of liken it to your mortgage. That's kind of a long-term investment. You know, you may go and take out a mortgage for a home, a 30-year mortgage at some interest rate um, to finance the purchase uh, of your home. And bonds sort of function in my mind in the same way. Uh, we use bonds to finance long-term debt where we have uh, assets that we want to build, whether that be, you know, substations, transmission, make other investments in our in our infrastructure, we might go and um, uh, we may use issue bonds to cover those costs. So in a simplified way to me, that's sort of the way the bonds would work uh, in this situation. But again, not sure if that's how the financing would be done. We do have entities that say they can provide um, a turnkey product. Again, everyone needs to remember all those uh, all those costs. And, and in reality, you know, if 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 there are significant enough savings, we're always going to have to pay something to get the electricity because then you got to think about this one thing. If we just, if we become our own entity and we have our own generation, then we've got to start procuring our own fuel sources um, to, to run that plant. That's a whole nother thing that we don't do today. That's going to be an ongoing into the future kind of investment and commitment. Um, so that's just one small piece of what would be necessary. So there's an operational piece you know, that we have to think about to make things work all the while to make sure that our customers see no difference, that they see the same reliability, that they see the better prices, et cetera. And so I say all that to say that we are looking at this from a customer centric perspective. Uh, there are there are a number of, of uh, interested parties and advocacy groups, and that's great. We appreciate the input. We've gotten a lot of input and we really, really appreciate all that input. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to make a decision that's in the best interest of customers because we're going to be the ones here for the long term to serve those customers. So that's the approach we're taking uh, as we move forward. Okay, so you also mentioned that uh, once we give notice to TVA, we will only be their customer for five years. Say the decision will be made to leave TVA. At what point will that five-year notice be given, and what can we accomplish in five years? Well, five years sounds like a long time, but when you're starting to, when you're in the process of doing uh, what's as complicated a process as we will need to do to, to do this separation, it's not that long. And um, so we will make the notification um, at the appropriate time. I don't know exactly when that would be, but I can assure you that it will be only when we have all the assurances that we need to have that everything will uh, move forward in a way that's appropriate. It will be only when we have all the assurances that we need to have that everything will uh, move forward in a way that's appropriate. Um, so we would not make that notification any time prior to that. So, so we're going to be very prudent about uh, when to make that notification if we do. And again, the savings, and it's not just the savings, it's everything in that bucket that's gonna, that it's going to take. Um, to make sure that customers see no difference in um, in their service reliability, we're going to have to make sure all of that's the is 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 set 
before we would do give such notice because what you don't want to do is have to redo this give notice and then five years later bounce back you know that that's not going to be appropriate so we're going to make sure we're trying to do our due diligence as best we can and make the best decision uh for our customers uh the city council approved rate increases so that we can build on our infrastructure make sure that our customers continue to have better more reliable service so where are we with the infrastructure plan at Memphis like Gaswater. So great, great question. We, we just, uh, laid out and, and initiated last year a five-year service improvement plan, and we, so we're now finishing up the second year of that, so we're about to get to halftime. COVID has had an impact a little bit, some delays on some things, in particular tree trimming. We're having some challenges there, but the good news, the good news is, is that we are beginning to see some mm-hmm. improvement in reliability. Uh, our reliability from customer minutes of interruption on the electric side are, is is improved by about 25%, and that's pretty significant. We should, our, our goal is to get to about a 50% improvement overall in um, outage minutes, and so we're seeing ourselves tracking along that, that direction. Not all of it necessarily is attributable to, but the distribution automation is certainly helping. Uh, we're able to get customers back on quicker. Uh, we're also doing some things in our water distribution area, making sure that um, our water pumping stations are getting the rehab they need, um, to make sure that we can have quality uh, and good uh, service reliability on the water side. We just finished up a great uh, 30-year program on replacing cast irons on our uh, cast iron piping on our gas system. Just celebrated that recently. So a lot of good news on the infrastructure side. A lot more to go. We've got oh. a way to go to get where we need. But a lot okay. of folks work really hard. So, JT, as we come come to a close on this month's show, would you please provide some some closing remarks for our customers? What to look for uh, in 2022 from Memphis like Aspen Water? Thank you for our, to our customers. We'll say thank you for your patience with us. We had some challenges. February of this year, no one will forget when we had the first ever boil water advisory issued, uh, and we had to go a period of time uh, where we were challenged with water delivery during that night there during the storm the freezing weather uh thank you for your patience during that time and for your continued patience as we work to make things better for you we want to make sure that we stay engaged with you we appreciate the opportunity and the blessing we have to serve you Uh, and we're going to do all we can in 22 and beyond to make sure we can increase um, the reliability make sure that we can maintain low prices reasonable prices for our customers uh, and as you go about your day doing what you need to do, we want to make sure we're continued to be here as your partner because serving you is what we do. And we want to make sure that you all have a very, very blessed uh, holiday season the end of this year. We look forward to 2022 and beyond. We've got some great things in store. So thank you so much for the opportunity to provide you the services that you need. Thank you, Mr. President. We appreciate you being on today.